This episode is brought to you by The Juice. As marketers, we're constantly trying to stay up to date with the latest trends, algorithm updates, new social networks, distribution tactics, email best practices, and so much more. And that's why we need The Juice. With over 100,000 resources, The Juice is the ultimate content hub, specifically built for content marketers. The Juice's curated recommendations introduce you to creators, brands, communities, and more who can help you learn and grow as a marketer. Plus, with The Juice's new feed and monthly email updates, you'll stay in the know without wasting time browsing through more content. You can even tailor your email digest to your preferences so you'll only see stuff you're interested in. If time saved and knowledge gained sounds good to you, you can sign up for a free account at app.thejuicehq.com. We'll also leave a link for you in the show notes. Thanks so much to the Juice team for their support of Superpath and this podcast. Hope you enjoy this episode. I knew from the beginning that this would have to be like a long, bloody, all-out war, and I would have to totalize and eventually capture like all of the business texting SMS space for like all verticals, all use cases, everything. And I feel like I'm pretty close to it actually right now, which is really cool. Hey everyone, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of Content Briefly. For this episode, I spoke with Kyle Kaczynski. He's the CMO and co-founder of a SaaS tool called Message Desk, which is a two-way SMS product. Really interesting in that he is marketing to folks who are primarily in the field, primarily not sitting at a computer all day. He's also a marketing team of one trying to tackle literally thousands and thousands of potential use cases. So I think that probably helps you get an understanding of what this conversation is like and some of the challenges that he's facing. Just a quick reminder to check out our new and improved Slack group. We started charging for it recently. It's 20 bucks a month. There's a discount, of course, if you want to sign up annually. I would highly recommend that you get your employer to reimburse you. At the very least, it's a write-off because this is definitely professional development. There are some awesome conversations happening in our paid channels regarding things like really high-level content strategy. We're talking about budgeting. We're talking about career development. People are airing some grievances sometimes about things they're facing either in their day-to-day work, challenges with their manager, even the state of content marketing. So there's a ton of really good stuff there. We'd love for you to check it out. We would love to have you join us. You can learn more at superpath.co slash community. Hey, everybody. Jimmy from Superpath here, today with another episode of Content Briefly. Excited to be chatting with my friend Kyle Kaczynski, co-founder and CMO at Message Desk. Kyle, would love if you could introduce yourself. Also, just a quick note, you're our first founder and first CMO we've had on this podcast. So I'm excited to sort of a different set of questions I have regarding that. But maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself and, and Message Desk and some of the things you've been up to over the last couple of years. Well, man, thank you so much for having me. This is a really cool opportunity for me. Co-founder and CMO, yes. CMO, I guess I use that title a little bit more lightly. Message Desk is a business texting software. So we help businesses and organizations get the right messages to the right people at the right time. And we do that by helping businesses and organizations text enable their phone lines, get spun up in a shared team inbox, and then send mass text broadcasts. So the use case here, an example would be like your housekeeper, they need to text you and they say, hey, we're running late today. We got to bump you on the schedule or hey, service is great. We left the key under the mat, that kind of stuff. Or a landscaper who's got trees to deliver or a nurse staffing agency who needs to get caregivers to the right place or um, a dispatch kind of a use case with like truck drivers in the field. So we help all those people get connected with each other and text each other in the same shared space. 
Got it. That's cool. And it's two way, which I feel like is important to call out. Yeah. It's not just, you know, we're running a sale, use this code to get 15% off type thing. Yeah. That's a good distinction. You call it there. You know, the, uh, old kind of style text messaging that you're used to is what's called short codes. They're like five, six digit phone numbers. Yeah. It was actually popularized by American Idol back in the day. They did the first text to vote campaign, but we do fully conversational text messaging. So it looks like you're just texting with your local business using their local phone number and it's all just back and forth. Super, super personal, very friendly. Okay, that's cool. So then on the customer side, they're looking at an inbox that looks sort of like an email inbox, but they're getting texts either from employees in the field, from customers or whatever, so that they can sort of keep track of it all in one place. Totally. Yeah, email is a good analogy. You know, we like to think of ourselves as like, you know, when we say a mass text, it's like BCC, but for texting, right? So you can send out a big mass text to an audience of hundreds or thousands of people. And then if they choose to respond to that text message and carry on a conversation, each of those conversations starts a separate text message thread inside the inbox. So it's a great way for teams to really manage all of their text conversations collaboratively. And it has use, right? Because you think, well, there are certain people who maybe don't use Slack or don't use an internal kind of communications channel. Maybe they're, you know, again, think of your truck driver, your housekeeper who's out in the field. It's a different kind of communication scenario. And that's where text messaging is really, really universal. Okay. I have a bunch of questions regarding that, which I want to get into, but I wanted to touch on something you said a minute ago, which was your co-founder and CMO. And I think you said you sort of treat the CMO title a little loosely. Is that because as co-founder, your job <laughs> encompasses, I would imagine, a lot of other things besides marketing? Yeah, no, totally. I mean, you know, we're a small team here at Message Desk. For reference, we just closed our seed round of funding, which is really cool. Like the ink literally just dried a couple of weeks ago on that. So we're really stoked. Awesome. We brought in some great investment partners with this round. We've been going at it for about five years and we're only a team of 11 right now. So I myself have to wear a whole bunch of different hats in terms of recruitment, coordination of PR. We've got all sorts of news that's going to be coming out about this round. So I'm helping with that on top of all of the management of go to market with our content strategy. And I'm a, a one person marketing agency here, yeah, yeah. internal marketing agency. I manage all of the content and I'm responsible for all of our leads every single month which is pretty crazy. When you think of marketing at Message Desk, obviously content marketing is a big part of that and we'll unpack all of that. Are there other things that stack up as equally or more important than content marketing for you right now? Yeah, you know, for me, when we started Message Desk, I knew that content was going to be a great acquisition channel for us particularly and for our customers. We talk a lot to small to medium-sized businesses. We also have some enterprise and kind of mid-market plays going on as well. We certainly can service those customers, but we really got our start with the SMB side of things. Our CEO, actually, his family's been in the small business industry for a long time. And that was really where we kind of got our start building for those solutions first. But content was really the first SEO as the distribution channel and then content as the marketing channel. But I'm also interested now with the changes in search and especially around AI, branching into other opportunities, other acquisition channels as well. Yeah. The content space is changing. It's changing so much. And I, I would be curious, too, as you think about content for a business that is it sounds like trying to reach people who don't sit at a computer all day long. And I would imagine that brings with it some challenges. Like if you're a B2B SaaS company marketing to other B2B SaaS folks, they're all at a computer all day. Yeah. Maybe spending time on LinkedIn and Twitter, they're in Slack groups. It's easier to imagine them like discovering content that way. Are there some challenges with reaching folks who don't spend all day looking at a computer screen? Oh, totally. It's It's been a big learning curve for me, particularly. You know, you talk about kind of the traditional like SaaS content marketing flow. And, you know, you can read online if you're trying to uplevel your skills, right? Everything's going to be very pegged to, well, you know, this is like an enterprise level sale that's occurring. And for us, we've really had to understand and unpack, okay, well, what does content look like in an SMB scenario where you have people who are browsing really quickly, they need fast solutions to problems, 
they're not really going to go through a sales conversation to evaluate and take the typical kind of sales-led process. And that's where PLG has been really, really big for us. Mm. It's kind of funny too. There was a report I saw from OpenView Partners the other day where they're talking about how if you're servicing small to medium-sized businesses, PLG has really become like table stakes. It's the absolute requirement now where you're trading this very clean, crisp, flow from you know your website, your content, whatever it might be, your marketing channel, directly into your product and making that flow just absolutely seamless. For us, that's really been the challenge. It's like, okay, take a typical blog post, go try and rank for this phrase, understand like what the SERP space is doing, but then insert the product into it and make sure that that's front and center, but don't do it in a pushy way. You know, There's a lot of nuance that's gone into that. And I think I've gotten closer at cracking the code for us specifically, but it's a different kind of pathway, right? So people typically land on our blog post and they instantly convert to a trial. That's one of the most popular conversion pathways. That's fantastic. Yeah, no, it's, and it, it took us a while to understand, like, wait a minute, that's, <laughs> that's the flow we got to be optimizing for and then let the product actually do the conversion. And so a lot of the messaging that's for consideration that's further down funnel, that really I kind of hand off to my customer success team. And they do all that messaging internally in the application via intercom or just the actual formatting of the product. That's super interesting. Okay, so I think most people know what PLG is, but for folks who aren't kind of like deep in this stuff, PLG stands for product-led growth. OpenView actually, I think was they were the folks that kind of coined this term and kind of established some of the philosophy around it, which is definitely worth reading because it's had a pretty significant impact on content marketing strategies over the past couple of years. Oh, yeah. And some of what I see is kind of what you mentioned is kind of content marketing making this not dramatic, but a slight shift towards product marketing where rather than having like content in the middle and calls to action surrounding it and hoping people notice, it's more like you, as best you can, seamlessly integrate the topic with the way a product could help solve it, which is really kind of a wonderful thing. I feel like it's easier when a reader is searching for a solution to just explain the solution versus kind of beating around the bush and then surrounding your content with pop-ups and stuff to try to move them along. Totally. It's funny that you bring that up. To back up a little bit further too, you know, we really, as a company, learned about PLG and like that really became mainstream in front of mind for us at Saster two years ago. We walked away from that and we were like, oh, geez, okay, wait a minute. This is the new hotness is what people are talking about. And it made a lot of sense, particularly for our product. I can see in cases where PLG doesn't make sense for, for some motions. It depends what your product is, what your market is, all that kind of good stuff. But to go back to kind of, you know, you're talking about the very typical kind of like stereotypical content marketing flow. My background is kind of non-traditional in terms of how I found content marketing. So I came up with the whole like HubSpot Academy where here you go, here's the funnel. It's a very direct convert from low level awareness using content pieces and gated content and all of that. It's kind of this complex flow to actually, wait a minute, you don't need any of that. You know, it's all about the product now and really... It's a better solution, I think, for the user. The end user at the end, they get a better experience and a better, hopefully, if your product is good enough, solution to their problems, you know, as opposed to going through all of this gated nonsense. I think that's really going away, though. Yeah, totally. I mean, what better thing for the customer and for the business than to just get them into a product as quickly as possible, particularly in a scenario where they don't need demos and it's not going to take three months to integrate, like, they can actually be testing it out within a couple of minutes. Yeah. The caveat I want to add to that, though, and this is the place where we've really had to do a lot of work as a team is, well, if you're not doing that work inside of the content, you really have to do that in the product. Mm. And if your product is really not up to snuff, it's tough, too, because we're early stage. We're still developing. And the expectation is when you're going to market and you're talking to an SMB audience, they expect the kind of consumer grade experience that super crisp apps like, you know, your WhatsApps, your Slacks, your maybe not Slack necessarily, but some of those other kinds of tools, Instagram. I mean, everything that they're used to having in terms of that experience with tech needs to be applied now to the B2B scenario. And like, that's a heavy lift for a small team, you know? 
Yeah, that's interesting. Do you feel like that's different for the SMB audience versus other B2B audiences? Like maybe that person we mentioned who's like at a computer all day and maybe has a little more tolerance for getting up and running in a new tool? Oh, totally. This is, again, kind of one of the frustrating things on our marketing customer success side of the house, right? You know, we started and we've had these conflicting signals that we've had to deal with. One signal is the true SMB who doesn't want to talk to sales. They want to get into the product, have a very nice consumer grade experience. But then on the other side, we still get plenty of, you know, this is where more of the mid-market enterprise kind of conversation comes in. People who want a traditional sales-led process, they want to go through, they need a demo. They need hand-holding, talking to someone at sales. And it's interesting because the PLG motion, I think we still have yet to nail, but we can really soothe and close a lot more deals if someone goes through a sales-led motion right now. And that, I think, is just part of like where our product is at and where we're at as a company in our life cycle. But it's interesting just to think about the needs and the requirements from both a, a marketing and sales and even support perspective for these two completely different pipelines that really do kind of interweave and intersect, but have to be thought of in different ways. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. Do you all do any marketing specifically for that mid-market customer? Not necessarily. You know, everything that I write content-wise is obviously keyword-focused. And we just kind of like magically had these mid-market slash kind of enterprise deals just start to crop up. You know, they would start trials, they would request a demo, and it would be like, oh, shoot, guys, this is a big deal, or this is a huge upsell potential, you know? Right. Big distribution kind of companies, food distributors, things like that. You know, we would see the individual kind of user pop in. And that's the sign right there. Like, okay, you need to get that user to an aha moment and then get them evangelizing and becoming an advocate for you and move up the chain, obviously. That's kind of our land and expand strategy. That's, I think, a good example where the PLG motion intersects with that sales led. Very interesting. Okay, let's, let's talk content a little bit. I think you and I actually had this conversation previously, but I recall listening to a, a podcast a few years ago with the former CMO at Trello talking about their content strategy and how a product like Trello has infinite use cases. And one thing they found, which is sort of a one-off thing, but I found to be an interesting observation was a lot of business people enter the product for the first time to accomplish a personal task. So it'd be like planning a birthday party for their kid. You know what I mean? They're like, oh, this is a cool project management tool. We should use it at work. Yeah. I found that to be interesting because this person was talking about, um, and I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of the podcast. If I can remember it, I'll put it in the show notes. But basically there were so many use cases. It was almost impossible to cover them all. Each one has its own kind of like little life cycle, a different persona, search queries attached to it. Now, I would imagine that Message Desk probably has that maybe at a slightly smaller scale, but the number of different types of SMBs and the different use cases that they might have for an SMS product, I imagine, are vast. (laughs) I mean, thousands at a minimum. Oh, yeah. How do you deal with that? I would imagine like you just have like a giant checklist and you just slowly work through it. Maybe there's a different way you think about it. Yeah. The Trello example you bring up is a great entry point to this. We suffer from the same kind of problem, right? And everybody, when you're starting out, says, okay, nail a niche, identify your ICPs, get very, very specific about the value that you can provide to a very specific problem, right? And well, okay, you go to a messaging communications channel like SMS. Well, you could send a text for literally everything. There's consumer applications, there's B2B applications. It's just this huge wide swath, everything you can imagine. And I knew from the beginning that this would have to be like a long, bloody, all out war. And I would have to totalize and eventually capture like all of the business texting SMS space for like all verticals, all use cases, everything. And I feel like I'm pretty close to it actually right now, which is really cool. We're at an inflection point and that's exciting. But the first real breakthrough I had, and this is still one of our top performing blog posts on our blog, was simply how to schedule a text message, right? And you think, okay, well, that's super, super broad in terms of search intent. That could be anything. That's kids trying to schedule text messages for some sort of a purpose or 
somebody's trying to schedule an event reminder or something for themselves to real hardcore businesses that are like, no, I need to schedule text messages at scale to all of my delivery drivers that are out in the field. And through that process, that really kind of started the whole PLG, SLG kind of like, we got to figure out our pipelines and really who our ideal customer profiles are. But like capturing that volume, being able to rank in that space for the first time was was really kind of like our inflection point. Like that's what really kind of kicked off our inbound engine. But it's been tough. You know, we've had so many internal conversations and we've finally gotten down after the past couple of years to really understand, okay, we've crystallized it into what we call a dispatch use case. That's fundamentally what it is. You've got a person at a desk who needs to talk to people in the field. They could be customers, they could be other employees or staff or something, and they need to round robin and round trip those text conversations. And like, that's kind of the home base for us for now. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. You know, it's funny. I, I Googled how to schedule a text once because I was trying to figure out how to pre-schedule text messages to my wife for like anniversary and birthdays and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Just to like mm-hmm. make a hundred percent sure I didn't forget. So maybe I should have done the trial, <laughs> but it's interesting. What you just described is interesting because it's sort of a universal use case that I imagine cuts across a bunch of different types of businesses. So that's just super interesting. Totally. I wondered too about content costs because I, in a situation like this, I imagine like, okay, you got X number of personas, Y number of use cases, you multiply them, you get a whole bunch of potential content ideas. And then you probably look at the cost of that. Am I going to do this myself? Am I going to, yeah. we're going to hire someone, we use freelancers. How long is it going to take? Like, could you walk through some of like the uh, math behind it and how you sort of plan this kind of thing out? Yeah. You know, I think what you're touching on there, Jimmy, is something that is central to everybody. It's an endemic problem that everybody tries to solve when they're starting up a content marketing plan. The question you're always going to get from stakeholders is how long is it going to take to rank? And then what kind of value can I expect on the back end? They want to know like pure sales, pure ROI, all of that. And I've finally gotten it down to the point where I I created this. I shouldn't say I created, I stole it. It was a a great content ROI calculator from, I believe it's Alex Burkett at uh, Omniscient Digital. They had a a great free resource and I was like, okay, I'm going to take this and kind of configure it, make it my own. And that's really been great because then you can look at a big, broad keyword space like business text messaging, right? You have all these verticals, all of these use cases, different things. And you just start pulling back and aggregating all of these keyword lists. And you say, okay, here you go. Let's plug it in. Let's add some baseline conversion figures and start to estimate and project out. And then you can set that into the content calendar. And the way that I've, I've played this game is I'm really a, a content machine of one. I've had uh, the ability to have a little bit of spend on this. A lot of the content is produced by me in-house, but when possible, I have agencies that are contributing and they go through an editorial process. And I've developed a lot of materials over the years to really kind of hone that process in, give them the materials they need to produce content quickly, but also that is quality doesn't require a lot of editing. Because again, the, the time component becomes a big factor in that. Yeah. And then you set it live and then get it to rank. The other big thing that I've been exploring and really focusing on is off-page stuff. Backlinks has been a big one really trying to boost our domain authority and then drive high quality links to very specific posts. And that's having a really positive impact so far for us. You know, it's always, I think, important to remember as a content marketer, right, as your distribution channel, that's SEO. And that's really the game you're playing. You got to focus on those offsite moves as well. That's really interesting. I spent some time at QuickBooks uh, a few years ago, and obviously they catered to the SMB space as well. And I remember it was very striking to me how competitive the space was. Intuit is a large company. It's a cutthroat battle between them and Zero and FreshBooks and a couple other businesses. 
Do you find the same thing? Is it super competitive? It's incredibly competitive. I've got some competitors out there who uh, really put a, a mark on that I'm trying to compete against. But mm. it's tough too to see other people like wade into the keyword space that you've been working on for a long time. And they wade into it with a whole bunch of domain authority behind their domain. And it's like, right. Jesus, that's not fair. You know, like <laughs> here I am, you know, trying to optimize drive links and everything. And you're coming at it from a, it's that kind of classic rich get richer, poor get poor kind of scenario. And I think it's only going to be exacerbated too by some of these changes that Google is presenting with SGE and that everyone's kind of talking about too. Yeah, yeah. The thing I keep coming back to in my brain is like, we've got to see how it plays out. But Google's going to have to figure out a way to cite sources if they want anyone to keep creating content, right? Like if they sort of present answers in the same way that GPT does, which are citationless, why would anybody offer more content to that search engine? So I, I'm just kind of assuming that that will be figured out. Beyond that, are there things that you're either excited about or frustrated with or concerned about when it comes to whatever these coming changes will be to Google search? Yeah, I like so many others have very mixed feelings about this. I see some great positives and opportunities to really do some good work and to increase that content velocity. And the other side of the coin, I see it being very destructive too. I think that you're correct though. And I think that this is something that they will sort out. They will figure out the annotation citation problem in some way. What I'm kind of interested in though, is like, I don't know if what they've crafted initially with SGE is actually really going to be compelling to consumers. I mean, is search fundamentally broken? I don't know. That's something of an open question. And there was a actually a roundtable that I went to that I think ClearScope was hosting. It was back in June. And a whole bunch of great search experts, people in the content space were talking about this. The takeaway from that conversation was that it's not clear. No one understands exactly like what this is going to be. And I don't think Google really understands what this is going to be yet. Right. They're still wrestling and grappling with that. But to, I guess, kind of steel man and play the other side here, as a content creator, being able to get a really quick outline out of chat GTP is pretty phenomenal. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. You know, and just be able to summarize and condense and like the amount of words you can move through the pipeline, essentially. Again, I think that this impacts people like me or single person to small teams the most. It gives us a little bit more ammunition to be competitive out there. Yeah. You know, we can increase our publishing velocities. We can increase that time and that feedback and everything. So, you know, that's kind of the positive side. We have this like golden era right now where we can deploy these tools and like make some gains before everything kind of gets screwed up, I think. Right. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Minutia. The landscape of content marketing is shifting. If you're in a SaaS company, it can feel like you're navigating a storm in a high stakes game. Dealing with financial uncertainty? Check. Striving for sustainable and profitable growth in a volatile market? Absolutely. Working with tightened content marketing budgets yet expected to prove higher ROI for your efforts? Yep, it's a tall order. Finding yourself having more to do with fewer hands on deck? Feeling the pressure of planning for shorter timeframes? Being compelled to fixate on the now? It's a tough world out there. And let's not forget AI and the upcoming changes in Google search. It's overwhelming, isn't it? And that's why finding and collaborating with a trusted partner is more crucial now than ever. And that's where Minutia comes in. Minutia is a loyal team of experts committed to helping you navigate financial uncertainty, driving your ROI without overstretching your budget, and doing so without locking you into a long-term contract. We ensure you hit your KPIs, even in the most challenging times. And Minutia is not about high-pressure sales. They're about honesty, transparency, and working alongside you to meet your content marketing goals. That's the Minutia way. And they're not new to Superpath either. We've done many great webinars and delivered tons of value to the community through the joint efforts we've collaborated on. Ready to take the next step? Visit Minutia.com to request a call. That's Minutia, M-I-N-U-T-T-I-A.com. Just last week, I was in New York and uh, I was meeting with a friend who runs a content agency and he focuses specifically on 
helping companies create content for a developer audience. And he was showing me some of the ways that he uses chat GPT to accelerate the content creation. And I was really impressed. One of the things he does is that he uses chat GPT to generate code snippets that he needs to cite in the articles. So ChatGPT will create the code, or if he has code, he could translate it into a different programming language. Then he just runs a quick test to make sure it works. And then the writing part is fairly straightforward once you have all the code you need to write a tutorial, for example. Uh, if you're writing uh, writing stuff based on API documentation and turning it into like you know, more in-depth content. And he said it's cutting his content production time in half. Yeah. Because he doesn't have to sit there and type out the code every time. Yeah. I personally haven't found a use case quite like that that cuts content production time in half, but I feel like those use cases are there. And maybe it's outlines. I also talked to Lane Scott Jones on the podcast recently. She runs content at Zapier. They built a chat bot built on top of AI and they fed it their style guide. And now they give it articles and the chat bot will automatically make sure that article adheres to their brand guidelines. I was like, man, that is cool. Yeah. What an awesome use case. Great time saver. Nobody wanted to do that anyways. You know, and so I imagine like we're going to keep uncovering some of these kind of workflow enhancements that make it kind of just like a no-brainer. Like not using it would be almost irresponsible probably six months from now. Oh, totally. It's funny that you bring up your guy who's using ChatGPT for code snippets. I'm in a little bit different space, but I find it to be a fantastic tool for writing text message templates. Oh, yeah, yeah. When you need a whole ideated list of happy birthday texts or holiday texts or appointment reminder, follow-up texts. Like it's great at producing that stuff at scale. I mean, that alone for me is a huge time saving. It's kind of like that lower level content. You just don't need to be spending your brain power on necessarily. Totally. I guess there's just so much we're going to just have to wait and see on regarding SGE specifically. Yeah. And in talking to a lot of content marketers recently, I think we went from quite a bit of fear around this to the point where some companies were holding back content budgets because they're just like not really sure if it's worth investing in it. I think that is, at least what I'm seeing is that fear is subsiding. Folks are starting to feel a little more comfortable that this will all change, but it may not fundamentally change actually. Like it may still be worth doing all the things so many of us content marketers have done for years. Do good keyword research, create good content, use the channel to get in front of the right people. I think that's still going to be there which at least for me personally, I'm almost to the point where I'm breathing a sigh of relief. You know what I mean? That content marketing won't just be totally upended. Sure. It will be different, but I, I think that a lot of the, kind of the fundamental things are still going to be in place. I think at some level, fundamentally, people will always want or need to consume some sort of a content at some sort of a level. So for B2B brands, there's opportunity that's always there. That's kind of the, the big takeaway. It's interesting, I think, for you too, particularly, Jimmy, because you have access, i.e. the Superpath community, to like really put your thumb on that pulse and understand and see like what is the temperature today or this month in terms of like the AI craze. So it's interesting to hear you say that that's subsiding. We just kind of have to wait and see. I don't know. Yeah, totally. The one thing I've been super curious about is are people spending money on content? If so, how much? Mm. And also how much deliberation is there? And to be quite frank with you and listeners of this podcast, our business took a serious hit in May and June. There was so much sure. hesitation. So many companies are just not sure. There was a lot of layoffs in the space. Not that that was directly related to AI, but I feel quite confident that AI was a component of that. And just a lot of CMOs and VPs of marketing just getting pressure from a board saying like, hey, content marketers are expensive. ChatGPT is 20 bucks a month. Like, come on, let's trim things down here, see what we can do. And I feel like that's the thing that I'm sort of most excited to see kind of like fading into the rearview mirror. It's interesting that you bring that up. You know, I'd always thought at the beginning, this is kind of a pre-AI era, I guess, that I would have at one point a content marketing team. There would be people internally in-house who would know the brand and be very invested and writing content here and it'd be this whole kind of like content machine. And I don't see that happening, actually. 
But I mean, this is really kind of the trend in like software right now. You're having smaller teams that are enabled to do more with less. They're kind of getting unshackled with that. And I think the overall takeaway, though, if you want to be a content marketer in this day and age is, you know, you really have to become a higher level operator. You know, the days of... I guess being a, just a junior copywriter and editing content doesn't work anymore. You really have to have a full-bodied understanding of search distribution channels, how to query AI too, and actually have to use that tool as part of your workflow and process. You know, I think that's, if I had to bet where I see things going, you really have to kind of like dial in some hardcore skills in that sense. I agree with that. I think that will have to become a universal skill. And then one other thing that we're sort of observing in the community is that folks who have previously niched down are doing better than folks who are more general. If you know enough of a programming language that you can then write content for developers in that world, that is a very valuable skill. But the same applies for writers who specialize in fintech, right? Or specialize in, you know, enterprise content strategy or sales enablement or, you know, so it could be industry specific. Um, it could be a certain type of content that you specialize in, but I think we'll see a lot more specialization, which I think would be a good thing, right? I mean, just personal opinion, it's more satisfying to go deep on something than it is to go broad. And I think this will kind of force people to do that. But ultimately, I think it has the potential to be a good thing for folks. I agree. I think in the long run, you know, there's going to be benefits and wins across the board. Can I run through, I have like a checklist of a couple of things I like to ask everybody. Yeah, go for it. One is key metrics. Like what metrics do you really care about? And I'm getting, you mentioned earlier that you're in charge of leads. So that's, I imagine a big one. <laughs> From a content perspective, <laughs> yeah. are there other things that you're paying very close attention to? And then related to that, do you have a Google Data Studio dashboard or analytics reports or even just a spreadsheet that you're keeping track of all this stuff in? Yeah. I mean, you've touched on a very timely nerve too with this whole switch over to GA4. I'm literally in the middle of dealing with that as a project. To answer your question at kind of a high level, the two primary metrics that I'm responsible for and that we've kind of boiled it down to over the years is simply unique website visitors month to month and then MQLs. And our MQL definition is maybe a little bit different than others. It's simply a, a business qualified email address filling out a form somewhere on our website. Downstream from that, MQTs are kind of a subset, marketing qualified trials, we call them. That's kind of another internal thing. Those fall out of the MQL list, but this speaks to kind of that bifurcation. And MQL can actually become an SQL and go down our sales-led pipeline, oh. or they can become an MQT, start a trial, and then go down the PLG pipeline, basically. So I'm responsible for adding in leads at the top, top of the funnel in that sense. Got it. We also do a little bit of prospecting. So our sales team is active in trying to, you know, if there's gaps, try to fill that in. And again, we're small teams, small, small, small. So everything comes in organically for the most part through the blog, and then it makes it into a, a meeting or to a trial. And that's how we start the whole process from there. Beyond that, you know, there are some more kind of specific metrics that I look at. We have a, what we call internally, it's a marketing signature. So that really tracks like the entirety of the funnel. It's kind of the, you know, the level down for granularity for me not really for internal stakeholders necessarily. And then past that, data-wise, we've actually really kind of struggled with this. We have, on the application side, we've got a whole bunch of different stuff going where it's all event-based, we're using segments, we've got customer.io, we're in that kind of whole data stack, segments are our data pipeline. And we had thought originally GA4 switching over to this event-based architecture, well, that's fantastic. That's great for us, right? We can start to just kind of pipe this into one place. And well, you start to go down that rabbit hole and you realize why... 40% of the top 100 sites don't use GA at all. They've had to create these bespoke solutions for themselves. And that's kind of where we've gotten to. You know, I tasked one of our devs to help me with this project, and he's just gotten nowhere with it, unfortunately. We're simply trying to de-anonymize users inside of GA4 and like marry that at some level with our product data. And it's just been a whole nightmare. That's really frustrating. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> I've heard a lot of Horror stories is probably too strong a word, but I heard a lot. Of, there's a lot of frustration out there with this move to GA4. I imagine too that may be an opportunity for some other 
analytics companies. Like we actually switched. I, I didn't make the move to GA4. I just adopted a new analytics tool. Oh, really? Yeah. It's called Fathom. What was the deal breaker for you? Just the time required to set it up. Yeah. And also like I didn't have anything sophisticated set up in there. I was just checking page views and organic traffic. That's basically it. So yeah. I ended up switching this tool called Fathom Analytics, which is great. It's 16 bucks a month, I think. Very simple to use. I like it. Probably not a robust enough solution for a company who's doing more sophisticated tracking. But I would imagine it's like this opportunity for other people to build amazing products in this space. Yeah. You know, the GA4 stuff, I feel like it's you're in a really tricky position if you're the project manager, product manager for Google Analytics, because you have probably these internal stakeholders who are like, no, this needs to be a platform that helps you understand ROI on ad spend because we want to increase Google ads adoption. And then you've got e-commerce platforms that are trying to plug in and have their stake in this. And then here you are with, you know, hardcore traditional SaaS company being like, we love the event-based architecture, but all of this e-commerce stuff is completely wrong and doesn't track, you know, MRR in the ways that we want. And we got to marry that and we need user IDs. And yeah, it's just, it's been a, a total mess with that. How much will the data you track influence the content you create? And I guess what I mean by that is like, some companies live and die by the data. Yeah. Others are lean a little bit more heavily on gut instinct. Where do you fall in that spectrum? I'm almost sheepish to answer this question. You know, I would say up to this point, it's actually been really more on gut. We've had a really hard time just, I think because we're a small team, we're limited by our abilities and our tools and stuff to really, really nail attribution. And I don't think you can really nail attribution 100%. And when you see enterprise level companies still struggling with these same core fundamental problems, and, you know, maybe there's a little bit bigger, there's more numbers, there's more infrastructure around it. I've had to rely on just basics of like, okay, what's the landing page? Did they convert to a trial or fill out a form? You know, if you can answer those questions, then you can start to eventually, you know, I want to be able to answer questions like, well, you know, which blog posts produce the most amount of MRR on a monthly basis, right? Well, people don't convert in a single month. So you have that kind of nuance and data problem that you've got to account for. We get a lot of spam traffic sometimes that comes in and will blow out our numbers. You have to be able to clean that out. So you need to go to this data lake that's got bronze, silver, and gold tables that get reconciled. And now we're into a dev problem and it's like... Jesus, I just need to sit in GA4 and, and like run a simple split test, you know, like. Totally. Do you think like, as you think about your content calendar over the next, call it six months, like, do you already have a pretty strong sense of what that looks like? Yeah. You know, and I guess this kind of springs it full circle. I've been going at this now for almost five years and we've produced, I'm almost at my hundredth blog post here on the website. Oh, wow. That's a lot. It's a lot. And I, I knew that this was kind of going to be the game originally, but now it's a question of like, well, okay, what space is left? Out of the search intent that's still out there, where are the missing holes? And like, we're kind of down to it, which is exciting for us as we, we're actually transitioning our product from kind of the first version to the second version behind the scenes. And we're going to open up a whole lot of different avenues and pathways content-wise. You know, we started with text messaging, but the vision is far greater than that. We've always viewed ourselves as a communications company. Mm. So imagine, you know, your WhatsApp messages inside of Message Desk or being able to place phone calls inside of Message Desk, or the next generation of SMS that Google's preparing is uh, RCS. That's a whole separate thing. So, okay, we'd have support for those messages in the future. And that's really what we're kind of preparing for. But until that becomes a possibility for me in the product, and this is kind of the drawback in some ways with product-led growth, is you know I can't really make a very compelling case or really go after that keyword space. I could, sure, you know, go and produce content in like the phone space, but is it really going to convert? Is it really going to be valuable at this stage? Well, kind of a cart and horse problem. But yeah, business text messaging wise, like I think, again, it's just been a totalizing effort, like go capture all of it. Got it. No, it makes sense. You know, one of the things we ask pretty much everybody is, uh, do you have a weekly or monthly content meeting? If so, what happens? You know, do you have an agenda you can share? 
As a team of one, is there someone else on the team that you are running ideas by, gut checking stuff, looking at numbers with, or totally get it if this is the case, like everyone's sort of got their lane and they're running really fast and they got to stick to it. Yeah. You know, my process around really kind of setting the content calendar and getting stakeholder buy-in and everything, I create a roadmap. So every quarter I sit down and I say, okay, here are the pieces that are going to go into a given monthly, quarterly cycle. The cadence that I try to aim for is four posts in a month or one post a week. That's pretty much been the cadence that I've been able to run with. And it's been really effective, which has been great. In terms of actually like ideating and creating content, I really, really rely on my sales team and support team. They literally are in the office right next to me here. And we go over and we talk just off the cuff all the time about, hey, you know, there's this user that came in, they're talking about this problem. That sparks kind of a content idea or, oh, we need to talk about CRM integrations in relation to text messaging. Here's, you know, what I'm hearing from the sales conversations. So I like to think that we have a very kind of symbiotic, close tie between marketing, sales, customer success. We're all, we're all heavily invested in the same kinds of outcomes too. Again, that's kind of the benefit of being a small team, but you know, I derive a lot of my insights from them because it's tough. I have a little bit more of a head down kind of a, a role here. So Ben, our customer success manager, he's, he's the one who's actually actively interviewing customers. And those insights are just golden when I can glean them. You mentioned something that you're in an office and those folks are in the office next to you. Yeah. We actually talk about sales marketing alignment quite a bit on this podcast. And oftentimes, because it's happening asynchronously, you need a tool to manage it. You have to schedule time with people to go through it all of which is good. And for most teams, like that's just the way it's going to be. But because you guys are in the office, like, do you have a process for it? Or is it just as simple as like, hey, how'd that call go? Have you learned anything? Anything I can use for marketing kind of thing? Yeah, I guess if we have kind of a strongly held opinion organizationally, we do have a hybrid model. So some of our employees and stakeholders work from home on certain days. But for the most part, you know, we were very clear. We wanted an office setting. We wanted a place where people could actually coalesce, co-mingle, connect with each other, from the executive level too, being able to walk in and engage people's temperatures and excitement levels and like where they're stuck at, there's a huge benefit to that. So we've tried to also be accommodating too and understanding about the kind of the hybrid model. To go back to your second point though, in terms of really kind of the process behind this, I would suspect in years to come as we maybe get a little bit more employees, more cooks in the kitchen, that this becomes more of a formalized process. You know, it's it's an interesting insight because we're so early stage and so small. And I've never really actually run a huge content team. So those folks have completely different perspectives and you know, ways to actually manage work product. What we've got though is small scale. Like, you know, we run inside of ClickUp, that's our project management software. And we've really kind of built that out. It's very simple, you know, to do, doing, done. It's, it's Kanban swim lanes. Where are we at with this? And then thinking about, okay, every day, do my actions, the things that I'm doing contribute to ROI. I will say though, one of the big framing methodologies that we've recently installed are OKRs. Some of the maybe more seasoned veterans might be kind of laughing and being like, oh, you know, for us, this is a new thing relatively. But it's a way to really get and ensure alignment between marketing, sales, customer success, because each of us really have our own department. There's one person basically who manages that entire process. So right. it becomes a real struggle for being a doer and then also a thinker and a manager. You have to manage your own work product and then also execute on that work product. And we've gone through several iterations of dealing with this, but OKRs have kind of been the first effective like framing method that we found for that for that alignment. That's interesting. Was it difficult to adopt OKRs or once you agreed on it, was it pretty smooth? It was actually really smooth, honestly. It was a very natural transition. We've always been conscious about tracking very specific data points. Every department head has basically been held to some very specific 
growth metrics. Our CEO has really been great about that and thinking about that from the beginning. This just kind of took it to the next level and helped us kind of crystallize and, and clarify, well, wait a minute. Okay. If these are the metrics and the goals that we want to run to, what are the actual you know, methodologies for getting there? How do these tie together? And what's the inter- interconnectedness of all of this? Love it. Really cool. Like I mentioned, I was in New York last week and I'm a really big proponent of remote and asynchronous work, but being in a room with a couple of people for a few days was just amazing. And I know every day at the office isn't like that. Oh yeah. But stuff did come up that would never have come up otherwise, which was a lot of fun. Yeah. Anyways, gave me some nostalgia. A little bit, not a ton, not a ton, but a little <laughs> bit for kind of the old days of being in an office. Yeah. It's that synergy, man. You know, sometimes you just can't replace it. Yeah, totally. One last thing I wanted to touch on was before we started recording, you tease the idea of community, kind of where that fits in with message desk marketing and potentially where it overlaps with content marketing. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, we've had conversations before about this and you turned me on to uh, the cold start problem by Andrew Chen. So I just started reading that. The first big kind of revelation for us when we went to Saster as a company was PLG. The second revelation was a community-led motion. It's interesting, too, because there are particularly... It was a talk at Saster that I went to. I think it was uh, GGV Ventures. And these guys really do a lot of investment, particularly in the SMB kind of mid-market SaaS space. And the two things that they really called out when it comes to a go-to-market strategy is content. Content is is great. SEO is your distribution channel. That's king. That's always going to be there, I think. But then the corollary to that is really this community motion. And it's the one plus a percentage, the referral, the word of mouth referral, the virality. And that's what I'm interested in exploring, especially as we know by the end of the year, search the search space is going to be changing, right? And I don't know exactly how that's going to affect particularly SMB searches and what's going to happen. So as a channel, I'm looking at exploring this. It also kind of, you know, it, it ties into our product perfectly. I think for us, it could potentially be a great channel. I don't have it all figured out by any means. The conversation should go back to you. I feel like you're the king of community in this sense with Superpath. <laughs> what is it, 20,000 members or so you've gotten up to? Yeah, well, sort of. We're shrinking it back down at the moment, <laughs> which is a whole nother thing, as we're making the switch from free to paid, which I'm really excited about. And it's kind of a whole nother thing. But yeah. you know, I think of community is, I personally think of it as like a community is people in a Slack group. (laughs) You know what I mean? I have like a super narrow version of it just because like that's what I've been working on for a couple of years now. Oh, totally. For SaaS businesses, there's so many other things that can constitute community. Like one thing you mentioned is existing customers. I think it could be amazing because many of the businesses sounds like operate locally, they're non-competitive. Therefore, actually they could be quite supportive of one another sharing ideas. Maybe there's ways to like highlight some of the best performing messages and share those around as templates to existing customers or have workshops where power users are showing newer customers how they find success with the product. Like there's a lot there. And I actually feel like in the PLG space, a handful of companies, I'm thinking of the notions and the air tables of the world uh, have leaned very heavily on community to the point where there's people who do marketing for Notion and Airtable for them because they love the product. In some cases, they're monetizing, you know, selling templates and that's a whole nother route. Yeah. But I would imagine that there's a bunch of ways where you can get people together. To me, this is like the beauty of the community is like if you can get the people together and allow them to communicate directly with each other, amazing things happen. Like in our community, stuff comes up that I would never have expected. Right. And no amount of keyword research or customer calls or anything else could have led me to. It's just like give people a place to feel comfortable and safe. And they'll ask the questions that oftentimes really reveal the things going on in their mind and the problems they're having in their business and things like that. So yeah, that feedback loop that you're kind of talking about there, that's where I feel like the content kind of intersects. Inside of those community groups is really where the richest stuff is kind of happening. Yeah, totally. Okay, cool. Kyle, super interesting. I just, I'm always, 
excited to talk to one person marketing teams because you just find out, you just learn a whole lot. Like there's no BS in your strategy, <laughs> right? Like there's very limited time, there's limited resources. So like you're always prioritizing. I really like that because you always find that one person marketing teams have like a very, very clear understanding of what needs to happen, how it's going to happen, what it's going to cost. Yeah, the term I guess I would give myself is a, a content mercenary, right? You have to be very mercenary about the choices that you make and something's not working or if it's not happening in the timeline, you got to cut it, you know? Yeah, totally. No, it's true. And I feel like while it's just different at larger companies, there's always something that can be learned by the smaller, leaner teams, you know, about some of that kind of ruthless mentality that keeps the one person teams going. So, Oh yeah. I look forward to the day when message desk is a, is a huge organization, but I'll probably look back on these days fondly and be like, man, back when we were in our, you know, our old office and it's just a one person team, one man show. And it's, just us hanging out. Like those are probably the golden days. Yeah, totally. Well, when that day comes, we'll do a follow-up episode and we'll talk about the journey from one person marketing team to 50 person marketing team. Dude, that'll be the day. That'll be the day. I'll come back for that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, cool, Kyle. Thanks again so much. Seriously appreciate your time. We'll obviously send folks to message desk so they can check out the content, see what it looks like in real life. Anywhere else we can send them your LinkedIn, Twitter, a personal website or anywhere else. Oh uh, yeah. Feel free to go to the website and judge away at my content <laughs> or uh, kindly offer a uh, critique for sure. I'm not super, super active on any of the social profiles or anything like that, but LinkedIn is going to be the best place to find me. Okay, cool. Awesome. We'll make sure we link to that and we'll look forward to having you back soon. Thanks so much, Kyle. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jimmy. Pleasure. Pleasure.